AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. It is a Friday. It is February 23rd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Local hoops. Not a great day yesterday for the local hoops teams. We'll dive into plenty of that discussion here in today's show. Some NFL conversation and your phone calls if you'd like to join us. 602-260-1060 is the number. 1130 and 1215 are the call-in segments today. But first, let's set the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question. And Bob had a great conversation with Eric Edholm of NFL Media. If you missed it, podcast it over at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app. But some of these poll questions here, Eric addressed, should the Bears trade Justin Fields and select Caleb Williams with the first selection of the NFL draft? Yes, continues out in front at 67% of the vote. No is trailing at 33%. Yeah, actually, he answered the second question before I could even ask it. <laughs> so there you go. But uh, this question with the Caleb Williams and Justin Fields thing, yeah, the Bears have been saying publicly, uh, Ryan Poles had a press conference, I want to say, uh, the couple of days, I had some, it was in within a, the, the week after the season ended, the regular season ended for the Bears, and he danced his way around the question, but a lot of people interpreted that as that they're going to be moving on from Justin Fields. Obviously, you know, Fields went, I forgot, I don't know whose podcast it was, he went on somebody's podcast this week and had some interesting comments and you know, about even going back to Atlanta possibly was one of the questions that was asked. So we'll see what's going on with that. But it, it seems as if the conventional thought process around the NFL is that they're going to trade fields and they're going to draft uh, you know, Caleb Williams, presumably. Uh, and then if he goes somewhere, you know, I think the overwhelming uh, majority of the media, the national media at least, seems to think that the Falcons, I just mentioned he has the connection with being from from Georgia, and also the Steelers uh, are the two teams that have at least that I've heard mentioned the most in the last uh, few days here uh, by either people, the experts on the NFL Network, uh, ESPN, or a couple of podcasts I listen to. We'll answer that question in its entirety around 1230 today. Tossing this on over to X at KDUS AM 1060. Should the Patriots move on from Mac Jones and take a quarterback with the third selection of the first round? Yes is out in front here. 83.3% of the vote. No is now trailing and on the board at 16.7% of the vote. That's right. A, a big rush after last uh, hour's 100%. <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens in the final results in a couple hours. But uh Jones has been the primary Patriots starting quarterback the first three seasons of his NFL career. 
Another question that gets answered around 1230 today. Let's get things started, though, on the hardwood with the Phoenix Suns falling to the Dallas Mavericks last night in everybody's first game back from the All-Star break. It was 123 for the Mavericks, 113 for the Suns. Luka Doncic scored 41 points, 14 of 27 from the floor, and it included 6 of 11 from three, nine rebounds and 11 assists. This also happened to be the first game of the season against the Suns that Kyrie Irving was suited up and playing. It was 29 points for him on 11 of 18 and 5 of 8 from 3. Again, it comes down to a game of runs and the Suns unable to get key critical stops on the defensive end in the second half. It included the Mavericks scoring the first 16 points to start the third quarter. Then another run in the third with 5.03 as the Suns pulled within one. The Mavs go on a 9 run and then in the fourth it wasn't any better with a 13 to 5 start to get things going in the fourth it's the same old stuff almost every loss and that was the case last night the suns were minus six and uh turnover differential they outscored 29 to 16 and points off of turnovers season long problem number two uh, at least for now, uh, for the purpose of this conversation right now. Uh, defensively, uh, not surprisingly, it was another problem. It was optional, quite frankly, last night for both teams, as we kind of predicted. And Mo DeKeel, who we had on yesterday from The Athletics, certainly uh, echoed uh, my sentiments that there was no nobody was going to play defense in this game. And guess what? Nobody played defense in this game. But the Suns got outscored 40 to 36 in the points in the paint. Uh, that's happened in a very high percentage of their losses this season. Uh, another problem, uh, they got out. They actually out-rebounded the Mavs. This, that's a good thing. That's unusual for the Suns. Uh, they were plus two, but they got still outscored in second-chance points in this game, 16-14. to 14. So if you take those three things and put them all together, the Suns were minus 21 in point differential just in those three categories. And those are three categories that in almost every loss this season, it seems like that they've been beaten in all three of those areas. Every one of them, pretty close to every one of them. There was a moment in the second quarter where Reggie Miller was, uh, it was a TNT game, was praising uh, the Suns and their defense and uh, talking about how this is textbook, exactly what Frank Vogel wants from this team. And I thought to myself, where is Bob when we need him? Uh, because you're always harping on the defense. And then in the second half, the, those same areas of deficiency really cropped up again. Well, and Reggie Miller spent the entire second half ripping the Suns' defense. Correct, Which yes. he should, should have done anyway. Uh, I always find it comical the guys that didn't play any defense when they actually were playing rip teams for not playing good defense after they're done playing, <laughs> which is, you know, he was a tremendous offensive player, one of the greatest shooters of all time, maybe the best guy running through screens and getting open shots of all time. I'm not exaggerating there. But he didn't guard anybody ever in his career. And I just laugh every time he's criticizing somebody for not playing defense. Devin Booker, it was 35 points for him on 13 of 21, five rebounds, eight assists. KD, 23 points, nine of 22. So not uh, typical efficiency there for him. Six rebounds and one assist. No Bradley Beal with a sore left hamstring. Eric Gordon got the start. He contributed 16 points. When you're looking at the newcomers from the trade deadline, Royce O'Neal, 10 points on four of 12, nine rebounds, two assists in 30 minutes. Thaddeus Young didn't play. Look, I know that uh, Bradley Beal didn't 
play in this contest. Does Bradley Beal fix these problems, or have we seen enough at this point that uh, maybe my answer from yesterday needs to start trending a little bit more in the no direction that this is uh, this team is not capable of contending right now as constructed? We've seen Bradley Beal play enough games, and these things happen when he plays. They happen when he doesn't play. Uh, yeah, he's missed 30 of the 56 games so far this year with various injuries. Uh, he's had a massive amount of main games missed since 2019, which we pointed out the very day that they signed him. Uh, this idea that he's going to just be healthy and playing all the time, unfortunately, is unlikely. Uh, so that, that people don't seem to want to accept that. Uh, the other thing is, yeah, to me, uh, of the people that were you know, on the well, first up, apparently Young wasn't even ready to play. He was unable to play. Right. Uh, so I'm not sure what's you know, going on there. But P.J. Washington, who got traded at the deadline, got traded for Grant Williams, who's just a complete waste of a you know NBA player, in my opinion, just out there trying to be a thug. And he obviously was a thug the last time the Suns played against them. He got kicked out of the game. But P.J. Washington is actually a real good basketball, versatile basketball player. He makes the Mavericks far better than they were when Grant Williams was on this team. Yeah, so we'll get to the Mavs here momentarily. Just want to mention that the Suns now have lost the tiebreaker to the Mavs, as in the head-to-head is 2-1 to one Dallas. And so when we talked about this yesterday, that the Suns have the toughest schedule remaining in this stretch run, uh, losing these key games in this tight of a race can certainly come back to bite them later on. We'll touch on where things, where they have fallen to here momentarily. But to your point about the, the Mavericks and, and P.J. Washington. In addition to that, Daniel Gafford, they all seem to be fitting in really well. You also have Kyrie Irving returning. Since he returned from injury on February 5th, the Mavericks are scoring 122.3 points per game. Scoring was never really an issue, but uh, it's a it's definitely uh, an offensive-led team, and they're 7-0 since that took place. Does this all now come down to uh, if they just play mediocre defense that they could really make some noise in the playoffs? Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, let's wait and see. There's way way too many things that can happen now for the next 25 games or however many games the Mavericks have left. Uh, So I'm not going to make a bold statement on that. But, you know, clearly Washington and Gafford helped them tremendously at the defensive end of the floor. Elsewhere in the NBA last night, the Knicks topped the 76ers, 110-96. Jalen Brunson back, 21 points, 12 assists. Bojan Bogdanovic off the bench, 22 points, 6 of 6 from 3. Uh, for the 76ers, they spoiled Kyle Lowry's debut, 11 points uh, off the bench in 25 minutes. Tyrese Maxey, 35 points. So the Knicks climbing their way in the East. When it comes to the West here and some of the things to pay attention to for the Suns, the Thunder topped the Clippers 129 to 107. Shea Gildas Alexander, 31 points on 12 of 19. Gordon Hayward, he played 14 minutes, no points, but four rebounds. Kawhi Leonard, 20 points. Paul George, 14 points. And James Harden, 17 points. Meanwhile, the Pelicans topped the Rockets 127 to 105. CJ McCollum, 28 points. Zion Williamson, 27 points. And Valanchunas added 20 points and 14 boards. 
without LeBron James. The Warriors beat the Lakers 128 to 110. 27 points from Anthony Davis, 15 boards. Steph Curry added 32 points. But with all of this action yesterday, the Suns now have dropped to seventh in the NBA West standings with the Mavericks surpassing them as well as the Pelicans. And I believe if the Suns lose tonight, they're eighth in the West. I'm not 100% sure of the tie-breaking situation there. Uh, but we mentioned uh, you know, earlier this week that if uh, you know, they could go from you know, basically you know, fifth place to eighth in two days. And uh, this is going to happen really, I think, for a lot of these teams. You know, they get you know, four teams bunched up between you – know, basically there's one loss between four teams. Uh, this is going to happen almost on a daily basis. A uh, couple other quick things here regarding the West. Uh, you know, actually, let's just, let me do just one one more quick thing. Uh, there seems to be like no outrage that LeBron didn't play the last game for the Lakers before the All Star game, and then he managed to play a half in the All Star game, and then the game the after the All Star break when the Lakers are actually playing again, he doesn't play that game either. I haven't heard a word about this this morning. I've had ESPN on for ESPN on for three hours waiting for somebody to talk about this. No, I, I think you have a great point here, uh, especially when you're trying to vie for as a team, vie for that play-in spot. That's where you're at right now. Uh, you, you need LeBron James out there, and if he's going to be able to get and, ready to go for an All-Star game. And he didn't play last night against the Warriors, who were they're fighting with? Correct. For an yes. Spot, for a, for a playoff spot. Uh, you mentioned the Suns. They are playing Houston tonight. It's actually three times they're playing Houston in the span of four games. Tonight, it's Houston in Houston, 6 p.m. on 3TV. Then Sunday, it's an afternoon game against the Lakers, 1.30 p.m. on ABC. So that's the happening for the, the Suns. One, one quick thing about Houston, it's a good time to play them because they've been really bad lately. Uh, they've lost seven out of ten games. Yeah, they're now 24 and 31, so they're not playing nearly as they were as well as they were for really most of the season until these last 10 games or so. So they got to take advantage of this because in addition to playing the most difficult schedule for the rest of the season, I didn't realize until yesterday afternoon, and I assume ESPN has their numbers right, that the Suns had actually played the easiest schedule in the entire NBA before the All-Star break. Yeah, they were talking about that because uh, I know we spent time talking about it being the toughest, but I also didn't realize, to your point, that it was the easiest. Uh, I thought maybe yeah. mid-level or so, but yeah, that's going to be a yeah, tough was... stretch for them moving forward, and if it was the easiest schedule and they were kind of floundering a bit, I'm a little bit nervous here for the stretch run. Yeah, that was on the NBA ESPN show yesterday at 1 o'clock, and I was actually really surprised at that because I didn't realize it was. I knew it was soft, but I didn't know it was the easiest in a lick, according to ESPN. And I believe TNT talked about it on the broadcast last night, too, so it must be right if two different outlets are talking about it. You would think, even though you know people's metrics in one network to the next network, um, next network, he tried to say, tried to combine network and net, uh, met, uh, metrics and network combined. That's, that's that. I did it twice. Uh, anyway, it's confusing. It's like the, uh, you know, the uh, the metrics in baseball that have the same stats and different numbers. Really? How's that work? Or does it work? I guess it has something to do with how much weight you're putting on a certain certain probability in yeah. an equation, and that's how it spits it out differently. 
Yeah, I guess. This war rating in baseball is hilarious because actually people use that for Hall of Fame voting now, apparently, I heard the other day. We'll get into some NFL on the other side of the break. It's the Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app. It is Friday. It is February 23rd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today. So I stumbled across this here, the five biggest NFL offseason storylines. And I think it kind of fits here with some of the poll questions that we have. So number one offseason storyline is all eyes on the Chicago Bears. Uh, This is year Mm -hmm. two for general manager Ryan Poles. Uh, It also happens to be the second year that he is in a situation where he has quarterback Justin Fields and he has the number one overall pick. We know what they did last year. Are they going to do that again this year or are they going to trade Justin Fields and draft Caleb Williams? So there's certainly going to be a lot of chatter about that for the next couple of months. Uh, In addition to that here, uh, you have the... people have too much time on their hands. I think when you sift through and find out that Justin Fields is no longer following the bears on Instagram. And then Justin joins uh, the St. Brown brothers on their podcast to talk about it and, and everything that transpires here. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even I knew that he's not following because it was such a big deal yesterday on ESPN and NFL network. Well, you know, it was a huge deal. You know, this happened, what, was it last offseason or the offseason before? All my offseasons are getting getting uh, all mixed up here. But when Kyler Murray did that. Right, uh, exactly. This apparently yep. is that, a new contract negotiating strategy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That Well, word for Kyler Murray. <laughs> so what the hell? <laughs> it um, did. But that, that's actually the very first thing I thought of. Is, 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 Kyler Murray did this. So there we go. Uh, But when it comes to Justin Fields here, what's a better place for him, uh, you know, if the Bears do decide to move on? Is it Atlanta? Is it Pittsburgh? Is it maybe even a Minnesota uh, if things don't work out with Kirk Cousins here? You you know Justin Fields' game maybe better than anyone else having a lot of time uh, watching him at Ohio State. So you kind of know if he has made that NFL progress that's needed and i've watched too many bears games <laughs> for whatever reason i'm not really sure why uh well i would rule out minnesota just because i would be shocked if they trade him in the division uh, so fair that would be a big surprise to me and uh you know, knowing i didn't quite fully understand that division until i lived in chicago for nine years <laughs> and uh, I, I got it i understood it pretty quickly at that point and the Bears actually thought they were good in some of those years, and they weren't, and that got ugly. But that was 25 years ago, but whatever. But I understand uh, that would be a difficult thing. Uh, as far as – I actually think that there's two ways to look at this. I'll give you both sides. The Atlanta thing and the Georgia thing. He's from Georgia. He went to the University of Georgia for a year and was mainly a running quarterback and third down. 
uh, and then transferred to Ohio State. I don't know if a lot of people even realize he's from Georgia if you're not a college football fan. Uh, so there's that side. And, you know, he mentioned in, I guess, that podcast, and I saw the highlights, I don't know if those are highlights or not, however they splice that up, uh, parts of his you know, podcast uh, interview uh, yesterday or whenever, the day before, whenever that day was, uh, that he talked about going home, playing in Atlanta, talked about how it might be difficult getting tickets for everybody that wants tickets and so forth. So the, the you know, being familiar with the area and having grown up there, etc., that's the, the Atlanta side of things. However, I think that the Steelers have a much better team. Uh, and it's not, you know, not just win-loss record. Because I think the, the Falcons could have been better last year, and they were disappointing in several areas, including their offensive line. Obviously, their quarterback sucked, no matter who it was. Uh, but you know, the Steelers got better during the season last year. They obviously need a quarterback in addition. But you know, their quarterback play was actually not as bad as Atlanta's, in my opinion. Uh, it's not like it was great, but it was better than Atlanta's. Uh, but they, had a, you know, they got some young offensive linemen who got better during the season last year. They seem to kind of figured out the running back situation as the season went on last year. They got a couple of receivers who were really good uh, most of the time. They're either really good or really bad, or sometimes, uh, you know, it was like it's like mutiny. Uh, they don't get the ball like seemingly many wide receivers. They lose their mind, uh, and their defense I think actually has a chance to really get better. Uh, so personnel wise, I think that Pittsburgh's the best place. Uh, go, if you want to go home, Atlanta's the best place. I don't know if I explained that really well, but that's the best I could do. Number two here, uh, can the commanders turn things around? They missed out on offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. Now they have Dan Quinn. They have Cliff Kingsbury at offensive coordinator here. Uh, so there's questions about what they're going to try to do. Uh, will it be Drake May time? Uh, there's $80 million in cap space, which is the most in the NFL this season. I also saw the NFL officially announced today the salary cap for teams is $255.4 million, so that's just a little nugget there. But $80 million in cap space for the commanders. Is, is, that, is, is that more than it was expected to be? I don't really know. Um, you I'm, know I'm, what? So, I think yeah. it is. I'm guessing it was, but you know, usually there's like a projected thing from the media, and I'm not sure what that was. So I'll investigate. Anyways, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm you know what? Minds. Here we go. Yes. It's an unprecedented right. thirty million dollar increase. Holy moly! Okay. Yeah. So much, so much, so much for that. So my inquiring mind, as I used to say for the National Enquirer thing, uh, my inquiring mind wanted to know. So thank you. I no longer need to have my mind inquire about that. By the way, I got that um, from Adam Schefter, just to point that out. Okay. Excellent job by Mr. Schefter there, who does an excellent job in almost everything. So good for him. Okay, so and now I forgot what the question was. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, with their $80 million in cap space, <laughs> oh, yeah. and they need more than just a quarterback, though. Uh, their offensive line's atrocious, and they have the worst defensive backfield in the NFL last year, as far as just collectively. They had like one dude who was okay, uh, but that was about it. So, you know, that's like seven positions. <laughs> it's like, that's a whole bunch of dudes. Uh, I wouldn't have taken that job either if I were, you know, Ben Johnson or anybody else. I mean, uh, yeah, Dan Quinn, 
Uh, I think he's kind of at the desperation stage for a head coaching job at this point of his, uh, you know, NFL career. Uh, so I don't think he had much of a choice. I don't know if he had any other offers, quite frankly. Obviously, then you offered the job in Seattle, which everybody assumed he was going to get for a while. Uh, so, uh, but I, I think the Commanders is a terrible job, and they've got a whole lot of work to do. And it's, you know, whoever they pick with the third pick is not going to turn their, you know, second pick, excuse me, uh, with their. That's not going to turn their organization around. Whether it's Jaden Daniels or. Yeah, whether you believe in anybody else that they're you know, projected to maybe think about. Drake May, who I thought is an incredibly overrated quarterback when he was in North Carolina. I understand the arm talent. He's got some speed to him, some elusiveness. Uh, but he was awful against the best ACC defenses that he faced. And I mean awful in some of these games. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm kind of curious. It seems like he's kind of locked into that number two spot there. But, uh, you know, you've talked about it uh, often. And just overall looking at the numbers this season and in kind of some of those bigger moments, he didn't perform. So I'm just curious if uh, that is going to eventually start to come to fruition with people that talk about all of these things, draft scouts and analysts and things of that nature, that if that's going to impact things or if, you know, we've just entered into the portion of the NFL where a quarterback is so important, everyone is reaching for a quarterback, it's not really going to matter. Yeah, well, it should. I mean, I would, you know, if I'm drafting and investing and you're putting a huge investment in a quarterback, even on a rookie contract, I mean, I would like to see him perform against the best competition he faced and really, for two years, he didn't. And it's not like the ACC had a you know, great level of defensive play. I mean, there was, yeah, Florida State was really good on defense. Uh, and they didn't even play Florida State one of those years. So, you know, other than them, I don't know if anybody – well, North Carolina State was really good a couple years ago, and then they kind of fell off last year. But, you know, they, they, who you – know, when they actually played average defenses or above average – he seldom seemed to step up, and it wasn't all his fault. But you know, the offensive line wasn't great. The receivers were better two years ago than they were last year. But still, I mean, you make a play. You know, make the receivers better. And I'm not sure I could say that he did that. In fact, I can't say that he did that. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. And I watched those games closely, anticipating this conversation we'd be having for several months after the season ended. Uh, yes, we will be having those conversations. And then to throw in Jaden Daniels and what he did last season, uh, the yeah. Heisman Trophy, but also just production-wise numbers, he kind of was it for LSU last year, bolting himself up into a top-five conversation. Yeah, and Eric Edholm in the sports zone made a great point. You know, the second half that he had against Missouri's defense, which was really good, was incredible, a cr incredible performance. They had really good receivers, but he made plays with his arms and his arm and his legs in those games. That game alone, in my opinion, would put him ahead of Drake May. Uh, we have three more biggest NFL offseason storylines to get to. We'll do that on the other side of the break. We'll also take your phone calls if you'd like to chime in. The number 602-260-1060. All of that happening next here in the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060. 
Carvey now time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Eleven thirty-eight, right here on this Friday, February twenty-third. Bob Cam, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Before we get back to the five biggest NFL offseason storylines, Bob, I'm stuck on this because I had mentioned the NFL salary cap this year being $255.4 million this season. And Adam Schefter had tweeted out that uh, the unprecedented $30 million increase per club is the result of full repayment of all amounts advanced by the clubs and deferred by the players during the COVID pandemic, as well as the extraordinary increase in media revenue for the 2024 season but there's this salary cap per club um amount through the years and this is just mind-boggling so in 1994 the salary cap if do you want to take a guess what what it was in 1994 not a clue okay (laughs) 34.608 million yeah, I would have been so. I wouldn't have been that far off. I should have guessed. Okay, okay. you have to trust me on that. Okay, two thousand and four <laughs> was over eighty million in salary cap okay. space. Two thousand fourteen was one hundred and thirty three million, and here we are in twenty twenty four of two hundred and fifty five million dollars per club for salary cap. That's just, I think, really indicative of the expansion of the NFL and how it is um, really dominating dominating in all the key areas in order for this sort of increase and escalation to occur in salary cap. Well, and I assume that all, for the most part, coincides with the media rights deals uh, that yeah. they've gotten for their national television products, whether it was in 1994 or this year. All right, back to five biggest NFL offseason storylines here. Number three is where do the big-name running backs go? You know, we had a conversation a lot last offseason about the assault on the running back position, uh, and a lot of running backs were holding out for for a contract. Some went the franchise tag route. Some went a one-year deal route. Now it's time for this to happen all over again. And some other names are added into this list here, too. Uh, All of these players that I'm going to name off are unrestricted free agents. Derrick Henry, he's 30 years old, 17 games last season, 280 carries, 1,167 yards, 12 touchdowns. Josh Jacobs. Can we go one at a time here? Absolutely. Derrick Henry there. I'll never remember this. Uh, it seems as if uh, a lot of people believe he's going to the Cowboys, which is what the, you know, per- would be perfect, uh, I think, for what they need. Uh, clearly, they don't have a between-the-tackles runner, which they should have known before last season because Pollard was never even a between-the-tackles every-down runner when he was at Memphis and has never really shown he can be that in the NFL, but they seem to think that he could be. They should have just kept Zeke. Uh, they would have been better off last year if they kept him and used both of those guys in their previous roles. Okay, sorry. I'm done with that one. The next one. Next one. Josh Jacobs. He's 26. Yeah. It was an injury-riddled season for him last year. 13 games, 233 carries, 805 yards, and six touchdowns. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, he led the league in carries, right? Or yards. He led the league in yards two years ago. Yes. Um, and 
I, you know, he, he took a beating. I remember we talked about that during the season two years ago that, you know, he, he took some hellacious shots and just kind of kept on ticking like the old Timex watch thing, I guess. But I kind of wonder, he's, you know, he never was a regular running back. He was like the third running back on his team at Alabama. I mean, he got plenty of opportunities because he was so good catching the ball uh, and pass blocking. He was good at that too. Uh, so he's on the field, but you know he's. I don't. You know, how long could he last? I mean, he's never really. You know, he, he he broke down last year some. You know, he obviously held out in training camp too. I wonder if that had something to do with it. But questions here, and uh, you know, the the, the Raiders I, they can tag him again, right? So uh, I assume they would, if they wanted them, they would do that. Yeah, I mean, who else is a tag? candidate for the Raiders I I'm nobody is jumping off 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 the top of my head so if they no. want him around then I would think that that would make the most sense I guess so I mean I uh, the tag thing is an interesting process in itself as we'll I assume there's going to be some guys that don't get tagged here in the what's the deadline in like less than two weeks right uh, that some guys that were expected to get tagged aren't going to get tagged, and we're going to be sitting here one day in the next couple of weeks going, oh, my God, how'd that happen? <laughs> Tony Pollard, he's next on this list. He's 26, 17 games, 252 carries, 1,005 yards, six touchdowns. I think, though, we established after he was going to be the lead back last year for the Cowboys that really he's that off speed back and he's better, you know, in space, he's better, you know, in a screen game, but running between the tackles as being the bulk carrier. Uh, that's probably not a role that suits him best. Okay. Well, this is the, uh, the pat myself in the back moment for this segment, at least uh, that I didn't think ever that he was the guy that could do that ever. And he went way too – you know, I'm in a, fan, a couple fantasy drafts. I wanted no part of him because I just didn't think he'd last the season or be very effective uh, as a you know, major runner. He was drafted in the first round of fantasy drafts, and there was no chance that I was ever going to con even consider him. I didn't even have him on my list for running backs to draft last year. I, I screwed up in other areas, but that one I think I was right about. Uh, then we have Saquon Barkley, who's 27, 14 games, 247 carries, 962 yards, and six touchdowns. What do we make about Saquon Barkley right now? I, that's a great question, and I haven't had an answer to this question for several years. Going back to Penn State, I mean, at Penn State, he was the guy that hit the home run, and when it was third and one, uh, and you needed one yard, he didn't off, uh, always get the ball with good reason because he just tried to hit the home run on a third and one play. And I've still seen some of that in the NFL. I've not seen every carry that he's had in the NFL. Uh, it seemed like I saw pretty much every carry he had in college <laughs> when he was at Penn State. But uh, that's still out there occasionally at least. Uh, and it's so difficult to also – you know, evaluate him because the, the as we mentioned yesterday the Giants offensive line has been bad for at least half a decade Austin Eckler he's 28 14 games 179 carries 628 yards five touchdowns does he still have something left in the tank here if he's in a better situation I don't think so uh another guy that's a little difficult to evaluate because their offensive line last year wasn't very good I mean, he's such a good pass catcher, though, that, yeah, I see he's, he's, there's a place for him on a team. 
Uh, but I just don't think he can be an every down back. And he's been beat up quite a bit here the last you know 24 months or so. And finally on this list, DeAndre Swift. He's 25, 16 games, 229 carries, 1,049 yards, and five touchdowns. Yeah. Um, way too – he's been injured way too often. Going back to Georgia. Um, you know, he, he's a, he has some – you know, he's a highlight machine. Uh, you know, he has like seemingly like one run a game almost – where he just makes a play where you go, oh, my God, I'm, there's not many guys in, in the world that have ever been able to do that in the NFL. And then you just wonder whether he's going to last as far as just, uh, you know, durability. Uh, then he makes just a stupid play. I mean, his pass blocking has obviously been an issue. Um, he's already been on two NFL teams in, what, three years uh, or four years in the, in the league. And um, I'm not 100% sure that, you know, the Eagles are convinced that he's their guy. You know, that, that's probably true. But I'm also just a little kind of interested if they used him in the right way this season. Well, I don't know what the right way is. I mean, you know, obviously in Detroit, I mean, yeah, they moved on for him as soon as they could. Uh, you know, they didn't wait till the end of his contract. They just traded him. Uh, they, they tried him in several different ways there. Um, he's known as a good pass catcher, but yeah, he's dropped a couple of big passes, <clears throat> excuse me, critical passes in big games, uh, including one game I remember in Detroit where, you know, he lost them the game, you know, at the end of the game. I mean, there's 7,000 plays in a game or whatever, but you know, the game's on the line and an easy catch and he just, you know, just dropped the ball. Uh, and was fighting it. You could tell he was going to drop the ball. You could do that one of those you know, stop action things in your brain as the ball is going towards him, and you knew that this was going to be a problem just by the way he was, you know, his body was configured and you know, his hands were like shaking or whatever. It was, you knew it was, it was not going to be a clean catch. If he caught it, it was going to be difficult. Uh, so I don't know what to think of him either. Um, so it's kind of the running back. Uh, this has nothing to do with any bias against running backs long term, you know, whether they can last or not. You know, these guys are all pretty young, and I've already got injury questions about them early in their careers. Some of them. Yeah, the only one, and you kind of identified where the rumor mill at least says that they're going to go, is not young and has had more durability, Derrick Henry. That's true. And he's actually, you know, he got hurt a couple years ago. Uh, but uh, uh, of the, all those guys, um, yeah, the Cowboys just seem to be such a perfect fit. But all those guys, I would actually want Henry, for, at least for next year, more than any of these guys. We wrap up the five biggest NFL offseason storylines next. Have you downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. on this 
this Friday, February 23rd. Bob Kemp, Caleb Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays and continuing our conversation regarding the five biggest NFL offseason storylines. Number four on this list here, and we kind of touched on this a bit yesterday just in terms of importance. Uh, Also, we know what he did last offseason. He held out and he missed the first game of the season. And then they finally realized they needed him. And boy, was he important for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's Chris Jones. So does Chris Jones stay in Kansas City this offseason? You know, they've got obviously some decisions to make here for sure uh, between their you know defensive backs, uh, their young defensive backs, and uh, Chris Jones. And, you know, I'm sure they're going to you – know, well, I shouldn't ever say I'm sure. I keep saying that, though, right? I need to, you know, like – Slap myself on the wrist or something on that. I just did. Um, you know, I need to uh, you know, qu- quit saying that, obviously. But I'm not. I'm assuming that they're going to restructure Mahomes' contract. But from what I heard in the last few days, they, they're going to have to restructure other contracts too. Yes, uh, they probably will. And I know this was kind of, I guess, a a funny incident when they were at the uh, parade. Chris Chris Jones was talking about how he's not going anywhere and he's coming back and he's so excited. And then his agent tweeted out while watching it, uh, cut off the beer. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. The agent doing his job there. Yes. Leverage (laughs) gone. Actually, if he were doing his job, he would have told him not to say that before the parade. Yes. No matter how much beer you have. Finally, here on the offseason storylines, where do these veteran free agent quarterbacks end up? And the list being Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, and Ryan Tannehill. So we'll start here with Kirk Cousins. Um, to me, this has just been a really interesting one to follow. We'll see where he ends up or if he ends up right back where he is in Minnesota. Um, but being, you know, he's... He's found a way to kind of be like a trailblazer in a sense with like him being the first one with the guaranteed contract. And you're thinking, really, Kirk Cousins? Then he goes on to Minnesota, and it seems like a really good fit for him there. Uh, But there are some question marks when it gets to that next level. Is he good enough to carry the team forward? It would have been interesting. I'd see, you know, I'm not sure what statistically he was having his best season last year, but it sure seemed like that for the eye test, at least my eye test. Uh, I thought he was playing better than I'd ever seen him play before he went down with the injury. Uh, the, you know, it seems like most people seem to believe, the insiders seem to believe that he'll be back in Minnesota for one year. Uh, I mentioned the drafting uh, a backup quarterback, and McCarthy has been mentioned if he's still available and the Vikings are drafting. And uh, you know, one more year with Cousins and you know, make the way for McCarthy. That seems to be, I think, the thing I've heard the most from more than just one person. So I've heard that more than, a, you know, a, 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 I would say three or four times uh, in the usual you know, a couple podcasts I listen to and then the two, you know, NFL Network and ESPN that, you know, specialize in these things much far more than I do. You know, I will say this. So two years ago when I did a season long player props, Kirk Cousins over his passing yards and Justin Jefferson over his receiving yards were the easiest caches ever because of their connection. Um, But I will say that play really seemed to move into this season and they were doing it without a running game. There was no running game to speak of uh, to start the Viking season. 
No doubt. I mean, you know, Dalvin Cook looked like he was kind of shot by the time he was done in his Minnesota days. I think he kind of proved last year, even though I'm not 100% sure about that because, you know, he's running behind the Jets offensive line there for a while. So God knows if that was him or the offensive line. Uh, but, you know, they didn't really you – know, they thought Madison would be better. And, uh, you know, going back to the fantasy thing, that is a guy I got duped on in fantasy football because I ended up taking him. But uh, – you know, and that obviously did not work out. Uh, the guy that they actually had in there at the end of the season, whose name I don't even remember, uh, was actually far better than Madison was as far as just a runner goes. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if that is, it solves their running problem or not. But uh, they got to sign Jefferson too, right? He, yes. He's got contracts up here soon? Yes, and he wants to make sure that he's playing with – well, he, I think he really wants to play with Kirk. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I get, uh, I get that. I'd like that too if I were wide receiver because he's going to throw you the ball like every play, <laughs> especially after Hawkinson got traded. Uh, Baker Mayfield, he's next on this list here. It seems like he has to go back to Tampa, right? They they yeah. go back to the playoffs. He played probably his career year, and it ended up getting Dave Canales a head coaching job. But that seems to make the most logical sense. Pretty close to a no-brainer, I think. And I saw you know, a report that you know, three years, $75 million is uh, supposedly a possibility. Uh, so uh, and if they do that, uh, I don't know. They've got cap issues too, right? We talked about that yesterday when we were talking about Winfield uh, and uh, so forth. But uh, see how that goes. And uh, if they want these guys, I think we've learned, at least I have, maybe I haven't learned, but I've tried to learn over the years that if you want to make it fit, you can make it fit somehow. And finally, Ryan Tannehill, is he a starter anymore in this league? I don't know. Um, you know he was really good for a large chunk of his career in Tennessee. That's when they had a good offensive line. That's when they had a healthy Derrick Henry. He's a tremendous play-action quarterback, and you need to be able to run the ball for play-action to work. And it seems as if a lot of people believe that he'll follow his former uh, offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, to Pittsburgh, who is now the offensive coordinator for the Steelers. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That seems to be catching some steam here um, as, as of late. And, hey, if that resurrects Arthur Smith in his offensive play calling, if that resurrects Ryan Tannehill, I think the one thing, though, the offensive line has to be better because uh, that offensive line several years ago, whenever they went to the AFC championship game and then the next year when they were like the number one seed, that offensive line for the Titans was really solid. Well, that's true. And then they'd lost a whole bunch of guys to injuries and you know, so forth. And, you know, guys had to retire because of injuries. U of A and ASU lose last night. We dive into it next plus college hoops.